So Lord, we ask that you would help us understand that and apply it to our lives. In your name, Jesus, amen. Well, hello, 945. Good to see all of you here. Some of you may be a little surprised to see the senior pastor here because everyone knows that the Sunday after Easter is International Assistant Pastor Preaching Day. So, <laughs> But today is actually a very important day in the liturgical calendar. Baseball starts today. That's a very important thing. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here actually to start a new sermon series called Movement to Heal a Culture. Because I really do believe that we are one of the churches that can really help to heal the east side and beyond. And I hope that is encouraging to you because regardless of who you are or where you're at, uh, there's a lot to be discouraged about in our culture, isn't there? There's just a lot of discouraging things in our culture. But I believe we can be part of healing that, that we are a church that can do that. And I'm hoping this sermon series is going to give you some hope and some energy and some courage and some excitement, not just corporately, but in our personal lives as well. And this series is, is going to pick up just right where we left off in the fall when we talked about this. And as I said then, the good news is that twice before in history, violent and oppressive cultures have been completely transformed by more and more people becoming Christian and, and the spread of Christianity without politics or without the use of the sword. History gives us reasons to hope. And in fact, in preparation for this sermon series, I even hauled out my old church history textbook from seminary, and I reread it. Look how thick this thing is. And yes, it is as boring as it looks. <laughs> See what I do for you people? All, right. All for you. So we're going to look at, I want to give right now just a three-minute history lesson, because I think history gives us reasons to hope in the middle of our culture. So as I have said about eight billion times, the Roman Empire gradually became Christian, not through politics or the use of the sword, but by Christians living a radically, sacrificially loving life. They cared for the sick and the poor. They reconciled races. They had courage in the, the face of martyrdom. And that attracted more and more people until about 300 AD, Christianity became the majority religion. And since Rome, the Roman Empire there, controlled all of Europe, all of Europe was Christian as well. And then things like gladiator games and poverty and the oppression of women dramatically decreased as more and more people began to live the Jesus way of life. It changed the culture. But then between 400 and 500 AD, the Roman Empire gradually fell apart uh, as Germanic and Slavic tribes invaded different parts of the empire. And these tribes were not Christian. So Europe was suddenly post-Christian. And those things there, they're not really countries. They're just more like gang territories. Think of it that way. Gang, these are kind of warlords, right? And so Europe was post-Christian. Uh, there was a memory of Christianity, but few, very few people were Christian anymore. So kind of like our culture today. But some of the Christians that remained did what their first century predecessors did. They went all over Europe in missional communities of about 50 people, mostly just ordinary folk, not pastors, and they cared for the sick and the poor. And they showed courage in the face of persecution, and they reconciled races, and that attracted more and more people until gradually Europe was re-Christianized without politics or the use of the sword. And then things like human sacrifice and slavery disappeared, and the culture improved as more and more people lived the Jesus way of life. So if that can happen in the Roman Empire, and if that can happen after the fall of Rome, why not here, why not now? Sort of like Russell Wilson says, why not us, Bell Press? Why not us? Except I don't think he says the Bell Press part. 
Why not here? Why not now? Why not through us? We, so this next few weeks, we're going to look at what they did back then that actually worked to help us launch a movement to heal our culture and find more hope, joy, and courage in our personal lives as well. And one of the key factors that Christianized Europe twice was hospitality. Now, right off the bat, we got a problem with that word. Because when you hear the word hospitality, you probably think of something like Martha Stewart, right? Where, you know, it's about fine china and dinner parties and candles made from beeswax and invitations sent on, on paper that you yourself made from the tree you chopped down in your backyard, right? It's not about any of that crap. It's not about entertaining. It's not, that's not what it means. The summer before I went to college at the University of Washington, I, I came to Seattle for orientation week, and I lived with my aunt and uncle who lived near the, or I, spent, I stayed with my aunt and uncle who lived near the U. And after the first day, I walked back to their house, and I went in, sat down, and I heard this voice say, Frank, is that you? And I thought, who's Frank? And then this older woman came out and said, you're not my husband. And I said, you're not my aunt. I was in the wrong house. And she said, well, would you like to stay for dinner anyway? <laughs> okay, now that's hospitality, right? Here is a definition of hospitality. It's having a for you mentality. For you. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about how God comforts us so that we can comfort other people. And he says, if we are distressed, it is for your salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort. And our hope is for you is firm, because just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Throughout the whole book, he repeats the phrase, for you, for you, over and over again. Hospitality is having a for you mentality. It's walking into the room and not thinking, here I am. It's thinking, oh, there you are. And how can I bring the refreshment and the encouragement and the love and the joy of Jesus to you? And it is a huge theme in Scripture. It's all over the place. And for a Christian, it's a non-negotiable. Because we have been shown hospitality. God brought us into his family so that we can extend it to others. And it was a huge part of spreading Christianity throughout Europe. So, for instance, in Ireland, missional communities of 50 or so Christians led by St. Patrick lived together in community. And when a traveler came to their community, or a refugee escaping the violence of Europe at the time, or a runaway teenager came to their community, here's what would have happened. They would have been greeted by a porter whose main job was to greet strangers. He, that person would have had their feet washed. The visitor would be put up in the guest house, which was the nicest house in the community. They would have eaten at the abbot's table. That's the head of the community. And if the abbot was fasting, he would break his fast because hospitality was a higher value even than spiritual disciplines. If that traveler kind of stayed around, he'd be given what was called a soul friend, someone he could talk about, about his life, the deep things of his life with. And gradually, this stranger would come to believe in Jesus. And that's how Ireland became Christian. See, for years, the model in churches has been behave, believe, belong. If you act the way we tell you, if you believe what we believe, well, then you're one of us. You can come in. Nobody comes to Jesus that way. Nobody. Ever. 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 Never. It never works. Right? The right order is belong, believe, become. When we feel loved by a community, we come to believe what they believe, and then we don't start to behave so much as we become who God created us to be. Another way to think of it would be community, conversation, conversion. 
Hospitality is welcoming someone not just into your physical home, but your spiritual home. And home, what's home? Home is the place you get refreshed. Home is the place that you can be yourself, right? So hospitality is creating a space for people where they can be refreshed with the love of Jesus and be themselves. Not just in your home, but in your school, in your office, in the bar or the coffee shop that you go to, everywhere. So right about now, some of you are thinking, oh, great. One more thing to do. Now i got to be hospitable, right? Just add that to my schedule. No, 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 no. Not what it's about, okay? Hospitality doesn't necessarily mean doing more things. It means doing the same things differently. And there are some huge rewards for us. There's some payoffs for us in this, which I'll get to in a minute. But first, this passage says that we practice hospitality with four different groups of people. Okay, it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Okay, the Greek word for stranger is, is philo, which means love, and xenia, which means stranger or foreigner. Now, in English, we have a word that sounds like that, but it means the opposite. Xenophobia, which means fear of strangers or foreigners. And what's sad is that polling data shows that Christians are more fearful of people not like themselves than any other group in our culture. And that Christians mix far less with people that are different than they are than any other group in our culture. You know, because Jesus said, go and make disciples of the people you're comfortable with. Right? You know, the great suggestion. Right? Oh, wait, no. Oh, wait, no. That would be all nations. Right? So that means people that are different. Different races. Different ages. Different politics. Mm. I was with you, Pastor, until you said that. Not to convert them, but just to show them the hospitality, the love, the encouragement of Jesus. So here's your homework, part of it anyway. If you are a Republican, this week, go buy a Democrat a cup of coffee, okay? And don't talk politics, because that could go bad. Just, you know, talk about your lives, encourage each other. If you are a Democrat, do the opposite. If you're younger, buy a cup of coffee for someone older, vice versa, or just reach out to someone who is different than you or maybe even a little challenging for you. And for you introverts who are a little afraid of this, here's how you have a really good conversation, okay? The best conversationalists, they just ask questions, things like, what's your job? What do you like about your job? What's hard about your job? What kind of a day are you having today? Open-ended questions. Because you never know the impact that can have. There's a woman who just started coming to our church because she had recently been to a medical clinic and was feeling depressed and said something about it to the receptionist who worked at this medical clinic. And the receptionist happens to go here. And the receptionist at this clinic simply said, God loves you, I'll pray for you. Well, the woman said that was something that she needed to hear. It really turned her around. In fact, a few weeks later, she became a Christian. And then the receptionist at this clinic who goes here gave her a Bible and told her about our church. See, hospitality isn't just inviting people into your home. Yes, that, but deeper than that, it's having a for-you attitude. It's looking for someone to extend the refreshment of Jesus to. And in this case, it was as simple as the receptionist saying, God loves you and I'll pray for you. How much time did that add to the receptionist's busy day? That would be zero. Second group, we show hospitality to. Other Christians and people in this church. Passage says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Right now, what's, good, what's kind of good and bad about a big church is, you know, we, this is kind of point one and point two. Strangers and fellow Christians go together because you look around and, you know, everyone is kind of strangers. 
And some of them are strange, right? And you don't want to get to know them. But, but Scripture says, this verse reminds us, we share the same Father in heaven, which makes us brothers and sisters. And we need other Christians in our lives. Because if you try to live the Jesus way of life in this culture, you can start to feel like you're crazy, right? So you need folks around you to say, way to go, you're doing the right thing. You need other Christians around you. So, like, maybe go to brunch with some folks in this church that you know. You know, not all the time, not every Sunday, but once in a while. Or simply have a 30-second conversation with the people that you sit near on Sunday every stinking Sunday. I mean, you all have a tedious predictability in your choice of seats. Like, I can totally take attendance, right? Oh, they're not here today, right? <laughs> now, again, just for you introverts, you know, here's how it goes. Hi. Try that. See, you can do it. Okay. Hi, what's your name? How long have you been coming to this church? Glad to meet you. You've been coming here 25 years? That's awesome. I've been coming here too. Right? Oh, have I met you before? Sorry, I forgot. I have to say that all the time. It's usually my first line. Have I met you before? Right? That's okay. Just say hi. Right? And to help you out this year, we, we even got rid of the church coffee and got good coffee right, to help you out. Right? <laughs> they did the... It got an amen over there in the sanctuary. Like, seriously, in a Presbyterian church, the only thing that gets an amen is the coffee? Strangers, I'll take it. Strangers, other Christians, third group, neighbors. Neighbors, this is the people you work with, live near, go to the soccer practice with. There's a group of Bible studies in Clyde Hill, I've told you about them before, where women... Uh, women who are not Christian are getting together with women who are Christian to talk about faith. And it all began with conversations between moms during their kids' soccer practice, which they had to be at anyway. Now, that doesn't mean we try to convert everyone. No, 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 no. Just show them hospitality. And then with a few, not many actually, with a very few, and that's okay, something supernatural will begin to happen. They may ask some questions that Jesus can answer, and then you start talking about faith. Strangers, Christians, neighbors, and finally people in need. This text says, remember those in prison as if you were with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Care for people in need. The Old Testament says this, for the Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner, That's the, that means immigrant or alien or refugee, the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, immigrants, refugees, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Care for people in need, as this church does in a million ways. Strangers, other Christians, neighbors, those in need. Now, okay, I'm not saying you have to do this for everyone. Okay, so don't go all overachieving Eastsider on me. Not for everyone, just, you know, the ones God leads you to. And there are boundaries, and you don't let people suck you dry. And it doesn't always add a bunch of time to your schedule. A three- or four-minute conversation can change a life, like the receptionist who simply said God loves you and changed a life. you got to make it part of what you're already doing. You know, you got to eat, occasionally have someone come with you, that sort of thing. Make it just part of your life. We sent some of our staff to a conference for churches that was put on by Disney about hospitality. It was for churches. And they said that everyone in Disneyland is in the hospitality business, right down to the street sweeper. And they told a story of a popcorn vendor whose sole job was to make popcorn. And, and he noticed a woman taking a picture of another woman, and he didn't have any customers at the time. So he said, do you want me to take a picture of both of you? See, he noticed an opportunity. That's key. They said, sure. So he took the picture. Months later, Disney got a letter from 
one of the women who said that she was there with her sister who she had not spoken to in 20 years. They were estranged. But her sister had cancer, so they decided to reconnect in Disneyland. Shortly after the trip, her sister died, and that picture was the only one she had of the two of them together in 20 years. How much time did it cost that popcorn vendor? 30 seconds. Small acts of hospitality can be huge. Plus, we get some rewards out of this, okay? Some good things come our way when we do this. So first reward, okay, we get real friends. Have you ever noticed how people are always trying to get friends, don't have friends? Because people run away from that kind of neediness and desperation, right? But the more you are a friend, the more friends you tend to have. Second thing we get, we get a deeper experience of God. This text says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. What that's referring to is Genesis 18, where Abraham entertains three men, two of whom are angels and one of them is God. And the point is this, sometimes something spiritual comes through something very ordinary and very natural, like a conversation over a cup of coffee or a brief chat with a neighbor over the backyard fence. Sometimes supernatural comes through something that seems very ordinary, like a receptionist saying God loves you and changing a life. And the third reward we get is we get to be part of changing lives and changing culture. I could not be your pastor if it weren't for the hospitality of two people named Bob and Marty Aiken. After college, I worked uh, at a church as an intern for a year, and part of my salary was to live with the Aiken family for that year. They had two small kids, so at 22 years old, I got firsthand experience. I got to see what healthy Christian marriage and parenting was all about. I got to experience it because I lived with them. And I got two amazing mentors. And I became the gift that kept on giving to Bob and Marty. Because after that year, I went away to seminary and then to graduate school. But I returned every summer for eight summers to live with Bob and Marty for the summer while I taught at SPU. They couldn't get rid of me. I was like the boomerang that kept coming back. I got to watch their kids grow up. I got to help them with school. I was an older Christian that was kind of, their kids could look to as kind of an example. Bob and Marty are godparents to my oldest daughter. For a long time, my kids were kind of stand-in grandkids for them as they waited for their own kids to have babies, which, if you ask Marty, took way too long. Every Christmas Eve, I am here. Guess where my family is? With Bob and Marty. I still have a key to their house, except they moved about a year ago. But I still <laughs> have the key to their house because it comforts me, right? And up until a year ago, I could have just driven across the bridge and let myself in and made myself a sandwich. Do you know how comforting that is? And if I have ever said anything wise from this pulpit, you can bet that some of those things came from Bob and Marty Aiken. They didn't just open their home, they opened their lives. They had a for you mentality toward me. And we all got those rewards. We all got friendship out of it. We experience God in a deeper way, and they change my world. And if we Christians got serious about hospitality, imagine the impact we could have here in the chilly Northwest, and I do not mean the weather. Like, we're not the most friendly region of the country, right? I remember once being at a dinner in the South, and a man said to me, you know, the difference between us is you Northerners, you act like you don't like people, but deep down we really do. Like right now, I know you really like me. And then he said, and we Southerners act like we like everyone, but sometimes we don't. He said, you know, like right now, I don't like you nearly as much as you think I do. 
Imagine, though, what would happen. Imagine what would happen if we showed genuine hospitality. It could change a culture. It's how Ireland became Christian. So real quick, let me give you some practical things that you can do. The first thing you can do is you can pray. God, show me who I can extend hospitality to today. Not everyone, just who God says. Second, as you talk with colleagues, neighbors, friends, if you find God creating some kind of supernatural connection, invite them to church. So I want you to repeat another sentence after me. Hey, would you like to come to my church? Kind of easy, right? So, and if they say, no, thank you, no big deal, that's all right. And if they say yes and you bring them, we will try not to embarrass you. That's our promise to you. <laughs> Third, say hi after the service. Just be nice, right? Someone sent me a series of typos in a church bulletin, not this church, another church, all these typos. And it said, the bottom line was, remember in prayer the many who are sick of our community and on your way out of church this morning, say hell to someone who doesn't care much about you. <laughs> oh, man, I want to go there, right? Hell. <laughs> so after the service, say hello to someone on your way out, right? Because you know what? If a visitor comes here and no one says hello to them, which has happened, or worse yet, someone looks at them as gives them some kind of dirty look because they don't think they're dressed appropriately or something like that, right? Like they don't feel welcomed here. So say hi. Fourth, volunteer in our youth department, Jubilee Reach, Kid Reach, Eastside Academy, or in a hospitality ministry. Greeter, usher, parking lot person. As a parking lot person, man, parking, you have so much power. You get to wear the orange vest. You get to tell people where to go, which you actually secretly deep down want to do. Just admit it, right? Like, but more than that, you could, kind of, you could kind of make a hassle person feel the presence of God as they arrive at church. And by sheer coincidence, and it is just a coincidence, there are people in the lobby, if you feel called to a hospitality ministry, you can sign up today. And that actually is just a coincidence. Honest. Not lying, it's a coincidence, but a very fortunate one. I, I read a story from a guy named John who got to know a man named Carlos who was from South America. And Carlos was kind of angry, atheist guy, and occasionally they'd have coffee at work and talk and stuff like that, and John would sometimes have Carlos over to his house for dinner. And Carlos said the first time he went, he just sat there through the whole dinner waiting for John or his wife to try to convert him. And he was greatly relieved when all they did was have fun. Well, eventually, Carlos did get kind of curious about John's faith, and so, you know, occasionally they would talk about Bible and Jesus and stuff like that, until after five years, five years, Carlos made Jesus his leader and his forgiver. And he said to John, you know what really did it for me? And then John thought about all their theological and philosophical conversations, and, and Carlos said, there was this one time I was over at your house for lunch, and we had soup. And as I watched you interact and relate to your wife and to your kids, I thought, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiancé? And I realized the answer was never, and that I needed Jesus in order to get there. Now, here's the interesting twist. John did remember that time. What he remembers is how badly his kids were behaving and how he lost his temper at them. But for John, that, that, but for Carlos... That was the grace of Jesus binding that family together, even in a tense time. And probably the fact that they were real, like they weren't all fakey, Christian-y, plasticky, icky Christian thing, probably helped a lot. Right? They let him in to not just their home, but their lives, even their imperfections. And in that, Carlos saw Jesus, and now he can have a healthy family by following Jesus' principles as well. That's the power of hospitality. It changed Carlos' life. It changed mine. It's how Europe 
became Christian. The most frequent image Jesus uses for heaven is a feast because it shows the heart of hospitality that God has for us. In Luke 14, Jesus tells two parables about a banquet to which everyone is invited. And in the very next chapter, Luke 15, what happens there? The story of the prodigal son. How does that end? Kill the fatted calf. Throw a party. My son is home. See, hospitality is not just something God calls us to do. It's what we've received from him. Scripture says this, at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, Jesus was in the greatest party ever, heaven. But he came as a homeless man, born in a manger, not in a home, crucified outside the city gates, crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to pay the price for our sins? He took the exile we deserve. He was cast out so that we could be brought in. He was made homeless so that we could find our home in God. It is the ultimate for you mentality, ultimate hospitality. Jesus turned water into wine because he is a good MC. He washed the disciples' feet because that's what a good host does. He feeds 5,000 with some fish and some bread because he loves to give a party. And right now, we are going to come to communion. And do you know what the theological word for the bread is in communion? The host. The host. Jesus is our ultimate host who on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this bread is my body given for what? For you. And then after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new and everlasting covenant poured out in my blood for you, my life for you. See, hospitality. It saved a wretch like you and like me, and it can change our world. Jesus, thank you that you bring us in. Thank you that you bring us close when we run away. Lord, thank you that you took the exile we deserve so that we could find a home in you. Jesus, as we come to this table, we pray that you would help us understand that in a deeper way. Experience your grace and love for us no matter who we are. And Jesus, we, we ask that you would set this time aside. Make us hospitable people by experiencing your grace and love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.